Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here on WSB. Listen, let me just get right into it. I feel like I'm behind uh, given last week. And to answer your question, I am beginning much to feel better. I can actually go upstairs now. Uh, and I went upstairs last night and avoided the Emmys and want to uh, begin there today. So just welcome the phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit discombobulated. I literally have been running in like 20 different directions the entire day today. Um, so the Emmys, I, there's no reason to belabor the Emmys. There have been a lot of things uh, said about them, and I suspect most of you didn't watch them. And I am reminded today of a conversation I had with Bill Shine at Fox News eight years ago. Bill Shine, who was Roger Ailes' number two there, the um, for the longest time the heir apparent. Uh, wonderful man, by the way. Uh, Bill Shine is an unsung hero, a, just a tremendous, tremendous guy. And anyway, eight years ago, Fox and CNN were both trying to hire me. I wound up going with CNN first and then moved over to Fox four years ago. But I will never forget sitting in Bill's office, and he pulled out a map of the United States, and he drew ovals around the coast, and he drew a little oval, a little circle in the middle of North Carolina. And he said, here's why Fox is number one. Since CNN and MSNBC are battling over the coasts, MSNBC is ahead of CNN because it's got all the liberals in Raleigh-Durham and at Duke and Chapel Hill. So then we've got the rest of the country. They pay attention to people who live within 25 miles of a coast. We pay attention to people who live within 100 miles of a river valley. And then he said something else as an example. He said, notice about the, this was the time, I was going through all the conversations, the Academy Awards were coming up. It, it was award season, uh, the Golden Globes, the Academy Awards. And he said, just, just watch, he says, CNN, MSNBC, even the network news, they're going to cover the award shows. And we're not. Because we know that our viewers unless they're insulted and we want to make sure they know they've been insulted, uh, there's no reason for us to cover the, the award shows. Uh, people who live within 100 miles of River Valley, they're much more interested in a troop homecoming at a local Walmart than they are uh, what happened at the Academy Awards that insulted their values. And that is essentially, given the demographics there, uh, what the Emmys now program themselves towards. That is essentially now uh, what the Emmys have decided. They only focus on people who look and sound like themselves. And that is problematic because what it does increasingly, because Emmys are the award show for TV, whether you, you, whether you think they deserve the award or not, the, the Emmys are the award show for TV. And so as more and more liberals get awards and accolades and, and insult the rest of us at these sorts of award shows, it creates a feedback loop where you and I hear more and more that, well, there's nothing on TV for us anymore. I mean, consider the stuff that won last night. Consider that. So the Emmys, they awarded what The Handmaid's Tale. Listen, y'all. I had to read that book when I was a freshman in college. I kid you not, and I did just say kid, I kid you not, 
that the professor who made me read this book was a Birkenstock-clad feminist who I don't know that she bathed and breastfed her four-year-old in class. And why? Because she also had a two-year-old who she was breastfeeding. Her assumption, maybe it was one in three, but it was toddler old enough to talk and younger child and breastfed them in class. Yes. That was my introduction to him. Ed Mercer, a purported at the time still connected to the Georgia Baptist Convention. Um, in any event, The Handmaid's Tale is a dystopian book uh, that feminists get brain damage and paranoia from. And because of the brain damage and paranoia that feminists and beta males get from this book, they go on to imagine, while they're smoking weed and reading this book, they go on to imagine all of the crazy subplots that are happening in America. And they have decided that Donald Trump's America is The Handmaid's Tale. Never mind that you have a bunch of feminists able to make a really not good TV show which they couldn't if Donald Trump's America really was the the coming to life of The Handmaid's Tale. And they awarded that show, uh, they awarded, um, oh, what was the HBO series? And I, I saw the previews for it, I guess, um, during Game of Thrones last year, maybe Westworld, something, what was it? Um, oh, da 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 Big Little Eyes, that's it. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, you're right. Big Little Eyes, and Veep. Now, I have not seen Veep. Uh, Veep is actually a show I want to see, and I've got a lot of friends who watch it and they like it. Um, but the others, I've got no reason to watch this. I hadn't heard of the other one. Almost all the shows, it's kind of like the Academy Awards now every year. The winner for, for Best Picture or Best Director, nine times out of ten, it's a movie you've not only not seen, but have no desire to see. It was telling that the moment that got the most applause last night, and again, I didn't watch it. I just have read all the commentaries from left and right. The bit that got the most applause was the reunion of Dolly Parton, Lily Tomlin, and Jane Fonda, who were able to make a movie in 1980 that had a political, feminist political message, but was a good movie and was not off-putting to people. You could watch that movie, even if you were a, a male chauvinist, pig misogynist, Republican, Donald Trump supporter in 1980, a Ronald Reagan supporter, and you could like the movie. It was a good movie, but you can't do that these days. As Hollywood has segmented more and more, they've decided they're only going to cater to themselves. I mean, the Christian film, listen, I've got a couple of buddies of mine who make faith-based films in Hollywood, and they know how I feel about this, that so many of them are like a third-world ghetto. Uh, the movies are so bad. They use former actors who have a chip on their shoulder that they weren't that great, and uh, they say that it's because they were Christian conservative and ignore the fact that they were actually a terrible actor. And they make these movies, and we're supposed to go, oh, Christians can make movies in Hollywood. They're terrible. By and large, some of them get it right. Some of them do. And the Blind Side, great movie with Sandra Bullock. Um, the, the Narnia series, I really like, but then there are some other ones. Not that good. Hollywood doesn't want to make those movies anymore, though. They, they've, they've allowed them to the Christian ghetto. And yet their box office is declining constantly, and they can't figure out why. If they looked on stage last night at all the self-congratulation stages, and even Stephen Colbert mocked the actors on their need for self-congratulation repeatedly to their applause. 
It showed you so much of what's wrong with the box office on TV and on in movies. You know, it's like Rolling Stone is now up for sale. ESPN is on hard times dragging Disney's bottom line down. Rolling Stone is for sale. It is because the left cannot process in their head that people do not want politics at all times. They want an escape. And the left will not allow anyone an escape from politics anymore in the 21st century. Yes, if you missed it, and it is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSP. If you missed it, Rolling Stone is for sale, the magazine that is supposed to be about music. But it's not about music anymore. It is it just it is a political tirade. It you're not welcome to read it. Now, listen, Rolling Stone has always been of the left. Rolling Stone magazine, when I was in high school, I had a small interest in music and, and got a couple of copies of it. My mom, she'd go to the grocery store. She'd bring home magazines. And Rolling Stone would was one of them only a couple of times because it was clearly, I mean, even then it was in your face left, but it was left culture, left music. But now it's it's all politics. And you, you had Sabrina Erdley, the reporter who has essentially bankrupted the magazine by running a story that confirmed all of their biases, the UGA rape case. No, I'm sorry. I apologize. Not UGA, uh, University of Virginia. Uh, the, the lesser school with the, okay, let's just admit university of Virginia probably does have the prettiest public university campus in the country. I'm sorry, UGA fans, Thomas Jefferson built that. Um, but nonetheless, so they ran the story of the university of Virginia rape. Um, and the, it was a completely made up story and reporters attacked anyone Feminists attacked anyone, but it wasn't just feminists. That, that's, the, that's the big point here. It was reporters, and not just early, but other reporters inside and outside of Rolling Stone attacked anyone and everyone who dared, dared to challenge the narrative. It wasn't about facts. Facts didn't matter. It was about narrative. There is a rape culture. There is a rape crisis. There are rapes happening on college campuses. Fraternities are to blame. They all need to be shut down. And here was proof. Never mind there was no proof. Never mind the story was made up. And it came out in Rolling Stone. A, a magazine about music broke a case about college rape trying to get a Pulitzer in a politically charged environment. And the whole case cratered. The whole thing blew up. And now they're selling the magazine. I mean, it's a no-brainer to me that when people want an escape, uh, they want an escape. And a lot of people want an escape from politics today, particularly because there are so many people in your face yelling at you, telling you what you should believe, telling you you're bad for not believing something. You, you got to care about global warming. You got to care about climate change, whether they're true or not. You, you got to care about what Donald Trump did today. You got to care that Nancy Pelosi said this cool one thing. If you just click here to find out what it was to rebut Donald Trump, it, it drives you insane. I mean, I do it for a living and I get tired of it. I want a distraction. So one of the great reasons about being in seminary these days and, and preaching on the side is I, I can spend more time in the word and less time dealing with politicians' words. But Rolling Stone gave people no escape. People stopped buying the magazine and now they're having to sell it. The same thing's going to happen with Disney and ESPN. It's only a matter of time. It's 39 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. News 95.5 AM 750 WSB. Y'all, I got to play this campaign ad for you. It is Dan Helmer. 
He's running against Barbara Comstock in Virginia's 10th. He's a liberal Democrat, uh, was in the military, trying to run that credential against Comstock. This is an actual ad, and they try to do it up in Top Gun theme. Listen to this. There he is on his motorcycle, dressed like Tom Cruise, but looking nothing like him. The Helmer Zone, they call the ad. Takes place in a bar. Here you go, Congresswoman Comstock. Hey, Dan. Isn't that Congresswoman Comstock back there at the bar? Sure is. Bet you can't get her to hold a town hall. Town hall? Do you want better than that? We've lost that love and feeling. No, Dan. Never hold town halls anymore with constituents. Land Parenthood and Obamacare you voted against. You're trying hard not to show it, but Barbara, Barbara, you know it. You've lost that centrist feeling, cause you've been right wing appealing. We've lost that love and feeling, now it's gone, gone, gone. You've got to go. Nice work, Dan. Thanks, Maverick. I'm Dan Helmer. I approve of town halls, bad singing, and this message. Now that that guy, he first of all noticed that he considers supporting Planned Parenthood and Obamacare as centrist. Uh, supporting Obamacare and Planned Parenthood, funding Planned Parenthood as centrist, but he's essentially mansplaining uh, to Barbara Comstock um, it, it, with the purported action. The whole thing is ridiculous. This is the Democrats' strategy for 2018 they want to run people like this then in fact they want to run men to campaign for Planned Parenthood and I'm starting to think that things are not going to go well for the Democrats next year because there is more data out from Pew and elsewhere that the voting public still really dislike Republicans. In fact, there are a growing number of Republicans who hate the Republican Party. I saw one survey, oh, two weeks ago. It wasn't Rasmussen. who. Anyway, one, one pollster essentially said that there are more Republicans who hate the Republican Party right now than there are independents who hate the Republican Party. And yet they all still hate the Democratic Party more. Uh, for all sorts of deserved reasons. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And when you're running ads like this, absolutely ridiculous advertising. He's trying to get attention and notoriety. And to some degree, I guess it worked because everybody's talking about him, but they're talking about how ridiculous it is. The commercials, or I'm sorry, the comments on this video, some of them I can't read, but I mean, the very first ones when it first went live were, dude, there's still time to take this down before anybody can see it. Oh, it's it's terrible. You know, this whole thing reminds me, including uh, the Emmys. Uh, y- y'all re- here, let me 
just so you know what I'm talking about, Kate McKinnon is the uh, actress on Saturday Night Live who played Hillary Clinton. And remember the Saturday after the election, the comedy show Saturday Night Live? They actually started Saturday Night Live like this. I heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? I mean, that, that was how they opened Saturday Night Live, the Saturday after the election. And, I mean, she was crying. She was actually, she herself tearing up and ended it with, I'm not giving up, don't you give up either, or some such nonsense. I, I noticed earlier today, I'm not making this up, folks, and you're going to think I am. There, there's some dude on Twitter who obviously lives in Brooklyn. What is it? I hope my kid never moves to Brooklyn unless he's like got an overabundance of testosterone. That'll be a way for him to get rid of some of it if he moves over there. But otherwise, I mean, I hope he doesn't. I mean, I do believe that men who move to Brooklyn these days so infested with hipsters that they have a, can have a sex change without actually ever doing anything. It just happens. One day they're pregnant with PMS at the same time. Anyway, he's he's on on Twitter saying how still about once a month, he just fires up that video just to watch her sing hallelujah. Uh, no, I'm not making this up. I want to tell you guys, uh, and I've mentioned this before, and it just it is kind of just important for me personally because, you know, I, I basically was in the bed this entire weekend and could do very little, um, but did spend the time in bed productively and rolled over how we do our daily email now because uh, many of you were signing up for it and not getting it and so I moved services uh, and also updated the podcast and stuff for better tracking of the podcast I continue to be amazed by the number of people who get the podcast you can get the podcast and you can sign up for the, I'm making it one-stop shop basically is just text the word show s-h-o-w to 444-999. Text the word show to 444-999. And um, you'll get a link back uh, or you'll get a request back for your email address and I will send you a link back as well uh, for the podcast uh, for either Google or Apple, uh, iTunes or Google Play for Android, whichever. Uh, The number of people listening to this podcast uh, are around the nation now. In fact, I've gotten emails from people all over the country uh, since last week mentioning what had happened. Uh, and it just, it's staggering. It really is just mind blowing. Um, so text the word show. You can text WSB if you want, but I, I went to show because you can get the podcast show or you can get the show notes, whichever to four, 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 nine, nine, nine. When we come back, there's a huge story in the New York times today, followed up with a Washington post story about the president's lawyers talking loudly at a restaurant by the New York times where they were overheard discussing strategy related to the president and his campaign emails and the Russia investigation. There's more to this story than meets the eye, and it hasn't been commented on a lot. I want to explain to you what is happening and why it's such a big deal when we come back right here on WSB. 
Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here on WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. For those of you listening by podcast, we're live 5 to 7 Eastern, Monday through Friday. So uh, if you're calling uh, off hours, you know, when I first started here, we would get calls for Clark Howard and Neil Bortz like nonstop, particularly for, for Bortz. Uh, you would see the, the switchboard light up uh, all day. It's just crazy, crazy. Um, so in any event, um, we see that now sometimes with the podcast here. So if you're listening by podcast, 5 to 7 Eastern PM, Monday through Friday. Uh, now, there's a story in the New York Times, the Washington Post as well, but New York Times, Ken Vogel and Peter Baker started it. Trump lawyers clash over how much to cooperate with Russia inquiry. President Trump, you just, you gotta listen to this. The friction, basically, the, if Trump's legal team, they're clashing over what to do with Mueller, how to handle things, what documents to give, on and on and on. Ty Cobb, not the baseball player, lawyer, brought in to manage the response to the investigation. He wants to turn over everything and, and get it over with as quickly as possible. Uh, Don McGahn, awesome guy, by the way, Don McGahn. I don't know Ty Cobb at all. I know Don McGahn um, vaguely. I have a lot of mutual friends with him. Highly, highly respected guy. Uh, McGahn supports cooperation, but uh, thinks that if they flood everything, there's precedence, and he's the White House attorney. He's not the president's attorney. He's the White House's attorney, and he's got to worry about precedent to future presidents, and that's the concern. So now, get this. Here's the key. Here's the key. The friction escalated in recent days after Mr. Cobb was overheard by a reporter for the New York Times discussing the dispute during a lunchtime conversation at a popular Washington steakhouse. Mr. Cobb was heard talking about a White House lawyer he deemed a quote-unquote McGahn spy and saying Mr. McGahn had a couple documents locked in a safe that he seemed to suggest he wanted access to. He also mentioned a colleague whom he blamed for some of these earlier leaks and who he said tried to push Jared out, meaning Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor who had a previous who has been a previous source of dispute for the legal team. After the Times contacted the White House about the situation, Mr. McGahn privately erupted at Mr. Cobb, according to people informed about the confrontation, who asked not to be named describing internal matters. John Kelly, the White House chief of staff, sharply reprimanded Mr. Cobb for his indiscretion. Now, let me fill you in on the backstory here. This happened in front of Ken Vogel. Ken Vogel, one of the reporters for the story, this this uh, was overheard by a reporter for the New York Times. It was Ken Vogel who overheard the story. Ken Vogel writing the story with Peter Baker, contributing to the story with Peter Baker. But that's not the punchline. That's not the kicker here. The kicker to this story is where was Ty Cobb having lunch with his friend? He was having lunch at the steakhouse right next door to the New York Times' Washington Bureau. And where was he sitting? Outside. Y'all, it does not take a rocket scientist to understand that Ty Cobb wanted to be recognized and wanted to be heard 
saying that Don McGahn, the White House lawyer, has, quote, a couple documents locked in a safe. Doesn't take a rocket scientist. Remember, uh, back during the beginning of the administration, White House sources invited Benny Johnson of uh, IJ Review to go to the Trump Hotel in Washington to request a particular table and to have dinner. And what happened uh, when Benny Johnson, who randomly the White House, someone from the White House calls him and says, you should go have dinner, ask for this table, get reservations for this time of night. Well, the president shows up to have dinner with friends and gets this fawning profile, but uh, intentionally so, I, I, I think designed that way. It was a very glowing profile from Benny on how generous the president was, how kind he was, how people interacted with him, what he ate. Uh, the big controversy from it was the president wanted a well-done steak that he ate with ketchup, I think. Um, I will not say anything agreeing with him on that, but nonetheless, um, so anyway, um, now I totally lost my train of thought on ketchup and steak. No. So this has been done before and this is, this is classic Washington. This is classic Washington, D.C., uh, there, there was a place at the bottom of, of where Fox is located, Johnny's Half Shell. I think they're they're close. Either they're out of business or they're close for renovations. I was up there a couple of weeks ago and they were closed down. I didn't realize it. But you could go to Johnny's and you would know that the NBC and MSNBC were in the building. Um, C-SPAN was in the building. Fox News was in the building. And if you wanted reporters to overhear your scoop, that's where you went. And you did so intentionally. There are other places in Washington like that as well. And then there are places like the Monocle where everybody has a little private booth and you can have private conversations if you don't want to be seen or be heard. Uh, when Roger Ailes was luring me to Fox, we would go to Patsy's, an Italian restaurant. And, and it was very open, except there were several booths where you could sit in the back and have private conversations and no one would see you. And, and that's where he liked to sit unless he wanted people to know he was wooing you. Then he'd sit in the middle of the restaurant. It, this happens all over the place. This happens all the time. Ty Cobb is a smart man. He does not show up at a steakhouse right next to the New York Times and request a seat outside on a warm day and talk loudly and passionately to someone about the Russia investigation unless he wants a New York Times reporter to hear it. And I dare say that it's probably not a coincidence that Ken Vogel is sitting there. I wonder if Ken, it doesn't say in the report, but I wonder if Ken got a tip. Ken, by the way, excellent reporter. Uh, one of my favorite reporters, um, one of the fairest reporters I know, used to be at the Politico covering campaign finance, got really a promotion to the New York Times, really earned it. Um, and he, There's no way Ken Vogel is sitting by himself at a steakhouse for lunch with Ty Cobb sitting at the seat at the table right next to him outside. It just doesn't happen unless it was by design. And so what is Ty Cobb doing? Ty Cobb wants to telegraph to the Mueller team that McGann is holding documents. Why? Because they're having a legal dispute over how fast to proceed with the investigation. McGahn wants to go slow because he's not worried about the president. He's worried about the precedent, not the president, the precedent. He's worried about the precedent because he's the White House lawyer. He's looking out not just for the interests of Donald Trump. He's looking out for the interests of the president of the United States. And whoever the president of the United States is will change in eight years guaranteed maximum. And he's got to look out for that person's interests as well. 
So Ty Cobb is only looking out for Donald J. Trump's interests. There's a big difference in how they approach the job. Cobb wants to flood the zone, get it all out there and get it over with quick. Uh, McGahn has to be very worried about the precedent set uh, that could undermine the future of the presidency. And Cobb has decided to do this to essentially go public without going public, where he can break confidence without breaking confidence, where he can uh, basically uh, go right up to the edge of legal ethics without walking over in his mind. That's This is all by design, and it suggests there's a real fight brewing. Uh, but what it also suggests now is that there's a storm coming for the White House, and it's the president's own lawyer who has caused the churn of the storm. I have seen this repeatedly. You know, it's a crazy thing. I, so I had lunch a week or so ago with somebody. And, you know, I encounter people all the time and they've done so much. They're they're 40, they're, they're 30. They've done so much thinking, man, um, what have I done with my life? Got a nice note from a guy the other day basically saying I left that impression on him. And I, I just, it was very flattering. I've, I've never thought of myself in that light. And, and I really don't. Um but it, it dawns on me in seeing some of these stories, like this story with Ty Cobb outside and whatnot, is that I've been around the block long enough now that I've seen certain things. And one of the things that I have seen is that uh, when races get close and Mitch McConnell's job is at stake, things take a turn for the nasty. And not only do they take a turn for the nasty, um, they take a turn for trying to discredit those who would make his life miserable. And in this case, it is Roy Moore. Roy Moore, the former Alabama Supreme Court uh, justice, is running for the Senate in Alabama. The election, I think it's next week. Yeah, next week or so. Um, the race gets closer, or two weeks away. The race gets closer and closer. And, and now the Politico, which is uh, the house organ for the stenography shop of Mitch McConnell, whenever McConnell wants a story planted somewhere, he goes to the um, Politico, and the headline is McConnell's mortal enemy may soon be in his caucus. And the story is basically Roy Moore's an idiot. He doesn't like Mitch McConnell, and why, oh, why would Republicans do this? Uh, which should tell you everything. If you have friends in Alabama, they should be voting for Roy Moore. The president who wants to drain the swamp has been convinced to go campaign for Luther Strange. I'm pretty sure the president doesn't even really know Luther Strange. But his White House advisors and Mitch McConnell are begging him to go campaign for Luther Strange against Roy Moore. This is all part of a timing. They think the race is narrowing and they're going to ruin Roy Moore. They're going to try to get Democrats out to vote for, for Luther Strange. If you know anybody in Alabama, you, you got to get them to vote for Roy Moore. You just have to. It is the best way to stop McConnell. It is the best way to push back. Um, he's got to get elected. And, you know, he and I have serious issues. We, we do. We've got big issues. We've got big disagreements. There are a lot of things Roy Moore has done that I wish he hadn't done. I, I'm embarrassed for him, and even though he's not. But the fight right now isn't over those things. It's over Mitch McConnell and what a horrible leader of the Republicans in the Senate Mitch McConnell is. And Luther Strange would vote for McConnell and Roy Moore wouldn't. So I would say go vote for Roy Moore. Um, that I think you need to do. When we come back, uh, Sean Spicer and the all upset reporters over his Emmy appearance last night. 39 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson here on WSB. Don't forget if you text show S H O W to four, 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 nine, nine, nine. 
in addition to subscribing to the daily email, uh, and we now actually, you will be subscribed, unlike many of you who thought you were being subscribed, and I discovered last week that it wasn't actually happening, you'll also get a link back to the Google Play and the Apple iTunes links uh, for the show. So if you have an Android device, you can go get the podcast there. If you have an Apple iPhone, vastly superior product, despite what Charlie and Andrew say, you will be redirected to iTunes. Uh, Sean Spicer participated in the Emmys list. I, I'm not going to play the clip. Um, don't want to do any of that. Uh, but here's the thing. It is, um, he participated in the Emmys doing a press conference. Essentially, the way the press took it, the way he meant it to be taken, I, I, I do believe is that, yeah, we were all in on the joke. Um, and uh, I didn't really mean it and all the yelling at reporters and whatnot. And it was, it was all part of an act. The reaction by members of the press day, particularly in Washington reminds me distinctly reminds me of the reaction of magicians and illusionists. When one of them gives away the party trick. You know, it, it is a, a the unwritten code among magicians and and of illusionists that you don't tell people how the trick is done. That's part of the magic. You guys know, you figure it out, but you you don't reveal it because you shatter the illusion. And if you shatter the illusion of the three card money trick, you you might shatter the illusion of the rabbit out of the hat. And if you shatter the illusion of the rabbit out of the hat, well, you eventually will shatter the illusion of sawing the person in half or making them float in the air or whatnot. You don't want people to know how the trick is done. The magicians who are the hated magicians, those are the ones who do the uh, Discovery Channel or now History Channel show where they, in between interviewing aliens, uh, show you how the magic trick is done and that essentially strikes me as the reaction of the press to what sean spicer did last night <gasps> it was all an act i can't believe he's saying he was being disingenuous the whole time i can't believe he would admit that i can't believe he did that how dare he try to rehabilitate himself how dare he they were in on the act they all knew I mean, I can't remember the number of times, but there were plenty where I read stories about Spicer and people talking about how helpful the White House press secretary and press staff were behind the scenes, that it was all on camera, that they were they were playing for one person and one person only, meaning the president. And yet, so Spicer does this last night as, as part of the Emmy stunt, and People are certifiably outraged. Well, I shouldn't say people. Reporters are certifiably outraged by it. They're angry. They feel like they've been had. They feel like they've been. They've known all along. And notice I say feel because they're not thinking. It's an emotional response to all of it. It really is. And I, you know, Spicer, he got to have a laugh at himself and he's working on rehabilitating his image. I, now, full disclosure, I guess I should say I've known Sean Spicer for um, Charlie. How many years have you, Charlie, you've been here, what, three? I, I've known Spicer longer than I've known Charlie. 
Um, yeah. So, okay. So yeah, four or five years I, I've known Sean. Um, I mean, I, we trade text messages. He's on my prayer list. Uh, really a genuinely good guy. And I have hated it for him to see him. And I've had reporters who are friends of mine, prominent people with TV shows, you would know who email me angry at what he did and, and what he became. And, and, Spicer is trying to rehabilitate himself. I think he deserves to. He's a decent, profoundly, profoundly kind person. I mean, he really is a profoundly kind person. Um, it, when he found out last year, for example, that I had, had clots in my lungs, uh, he has had a similar situation, was all over it. Um, information, what I need to know, what I should look at. But everything, dude is a good guy. And if he wants to get on stage at the Emmys and and do a comedy skit, more power to him. God bless him. After what he's put up with uh, for a very long time from people, getting it from all sides, uh, I think he gets that. And the fact that the press is outraged by it really says a whole lot more about the press than it does about Sean, uh, who is an upstanding guy, unlike many of the people who are complaining about him. Uh, I, I, I could have a few words about a particular couple of reporters who were blasting him for that, but... Um, I, I would not want to say anything and disgrace their families, although they're disgracing their families already. I'll just leave it at that. Okay, so I managed to check my email um, during traffic, and some of you are wondering why I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton challenging the election. Well, because it's not a story. I mean, y'all... How much time have feminists spent the last number of years telling people that uh, women get stereotyped? And here comes a, a bitter clinger who can't let go of her loss, who can't accept blame, who plays into the prototypical uh, woman scorned and is suggesting that she she's well she can't challenge the election it's just she wants to she doesn't want to and now she doesn't want to necessarily call it legitimate when after the election she was willing to rally the country and and accept Trump as president whether she liked it or not now not necessarily so she wants to be part of the resistance she's out of politics she's got nothing better to do the the whole thing is ridiculous um, there's really no there there. There's nothing she can do. Hillary Clinton will not be president of the United States. And whether or not she likes it, whether or not you like it, Donald Trump is the president of the United States of America. You just have to deal with it. So I'm trying to get on the habit of saying welcome back. Um because, you know, you're always welcome back. I I just, I'm, I'm still stuck on the Spicer thing because when, as we were going to commercial, I had up the Brian Seltzer story from CNN and the autoplay. God, I hate the autoplay ads. I, but it was the autoplay story. And it, it was just, it was a series of tweets from celebrities who were just livid that Sean Spicer would dare be on stage. How dare he be there? He's evil, said uh, one, it's just, you know, that you view a political, and this, I gotta say, this is part of my own growing up in self-awareness over time. I believe there are evil policies. I, I believe abortion is an evil policy, but I don't necessarily believe that if, if you're pro-choice or pro-abortion or that you're evil, we're all sinners. And I have noted as, as the country has become more secular, secularists 
are more and more likely to consider things they disagree with evil, as opposed to real evil. We we are we're watering down what real evil is. Killing kids, I think, is evil. But it's it's to them a right, a choice. Uh, the euphemisms used. I mean, we call it abortion. It is tearing up a child, uh, ripping a child limb from limb. That, that, that's it. And listen, I'm sorry if you got kids in the car, but they might as well know when they hear someone talking about abortion. That's what it is. Is you're you're literally tearing a child apart. But we talk about it in euphemisms, and but yet then they want to call Sean Spicer, who was just a press secretary, evil. Words should still mean things, uh, and as secularism becomes a religion of its own, um, it, it takes on the language uh, and the liturgies of religion for itself to call a guy evil because he worked for a president. It's like the Louis Gutierrez, the, the Democratic congressman from Illinois. Asked by Allison Camarado on CNN if he regretted attacking John Kelly's uh, military, distinguished military service, wouldn't say no. Um, said he didn't see General Kelly as a member of the military, but as someone who went to work for Donald Trump, so he didn't have to apologize, essentially. Everybody's got a lot of growing up to do, but I'm out of time, so I can't grow up anymore tonight with you guys. I will see you guys tomorrow. Have a good night.